This is the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Red Sign Podcast. I'm Clay Winder with another special guest, Mr. Jordan Larson. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Jordan is in real estate. He has been with us for quite a few years now. Jordan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. Yeah, so I've been in the real estate industry going on five years this November. Um, jumped into it as a brand new 21-year-old and quickly jumped onto Red Sign Team. I've played a lot of different roles in real estate. I've gone from a solo agent to an agent on a team. I've played listing agent, buyer's agent, and leadership in market centers and the region. So kind of a lot of different hats. Awesome. So we're here to talk about real estate investing on this podcast. When did you buy your first rental? Just over two years ago, July of 2019. And you house hacked it, right? You moved mm-hmm. into it? Moved into it, got two roommates, lived there for about nine months before I moved to the next one. So you're there for nine months, then you moved to the next one. Tell us about that one. So I bought that one. It was a townhouse and vineyard. Um, moved into that with three roommates, lived there for a year, and then just moved into my third property. And your third property is a house, right? Single family. So your first property was a condo. Yep. Lived there nine months, backfilled it, boom, hit a townhome. Lived there for about a year, had roommates, but backfilled it and then got into a house. Yep. Wow. So that's three properties in how many months? 22 months. That's pretty good. Good job. Thank you. What's next? That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I got here faster than I anticipated. Well, that's exciting. I love talking to young investors. I hope that our listeners always get inspired when they hear you young 20-something-year-olds just grabbing rental properties as fast as you're doing it. The reason I wanted you to join me today, Jordan, is I wanted to talk about really just back to some fundamentals. We have quite a few listeners to this podcast, but one in particular, and you know who you are, who's texted me a ton of questions and essentially said, listen, I want to self-manage my first rental property, but what in the world do I do? So essentially the theme of this this quick podcast that we're going to do is simply, I'm getting a rental. What in the world do I do next? I bought a rental property. What now? Yeah, I bought a rental property. What now? And Jordan, you just went through this. Like this is all pretty fresh in your mind. You've now done this a couple of times and uh, you feel like probably quite a bit like an expert, but you went through the pains. So the first question people always ask is, okay, and we've talked enough on other episodes about how to find the rentals, how to um, finance them, how to save up the money, how to kind of structure that. The purpose of this is more or less on the management side or just kind of the structure of the business Mm -hmm. of it. And so, but we're going to keep these kind of quick. I want to just fire away a whole bunch of just kind of uh, maybe somewhat basic questions, but not basic to everybody. So I, I do want to get these out there and let our listeners know um, kind of the quick answers. And then other episodes, we'll dive deeper into each of these. So right out the gates, let's just talk about the difference between um, uh, uh, self-managing your properties versus a property manager. Do you self-manage? Uh, so I self-manage one and I have the other with a property manager. Interesting. So you've got both. So good example. Do you prefer one over the other? I would much rather give it to a property manager. <laughs> All right. Now say that some, but most people I would argue uh, usually do their first one on their own. So that's what I did. So the first property at my condo in Lehigh, I self-managed. I've self-managed it from the day I bought it. It's worked out really well. My second property I self-managed for the first year. 
And then when I moved out, realized, you know what, it's more work than I, than it's worth my time. So that's when I decided to hand it over to And that was just a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So when you went through this for the first process, the, the question I get a lot is how do you select a tenant and do you have any biases toward different types? Now, obviously I don't want to dip into discrimination or different classes, but I think that's a fair question. A lot of people say, do you prefer singles, boys versus girls versus families with little kids? Do you allow pets? Do you, you know, how do you judge that? Yeah. So that's interesting. So when I was finding tenants for my first property, I was living there. So it was important to me that it was somebody that I could live with. Um, having moved out of it, really, I prefer young single professionals. So I rent both of my properties out by the room instead of as a whole unit. And so I really look for those young single professionals that are fresh out of college, working a job, making good money, but aren't ready to go buy their own home. Awesome. Asterisk right here. Check with your CCNRs because I know for a fact that Jordan is breaking the rules. He probably doesn't even know this, but just today I got an email from the same association where his townhome is in Vineyard that says, remember everybody, you cannot lease per room. You have to have one lease per entire unit. You can't do nightly rentals. You can't do this and that. We got the whole spiel like three hours ago. Do you see that email? Yeah, I read that email. But here's the thing. (laughs) We still all do the student thing. You just got to be careful. And I've done this for years, just kind of naturally. There is value in having essentially one person that does have the whole responsibilities of the entire lease under their name. And then essentially, in essence, they're subletting or more or less, they're the house president is kind of what I call it. And then their roommates all Venmo that money. They make the, you know, they make one payment, but all the names are still on the lease. So it's still like one lease, even though it's kind of per room, there are ways to do this the right way. And that's not contrary to what the HOA wants. They just want to make sure that they're they're doing the best they can to manage just the overwhelming amount of people that sometimes these landlords are packing into their properties. Yeah. And that's for me. I only rent private room. I don't double people up in rooms. I want it to still feel like a good space that people are comfortable living in. Do you like girls or boys more? To least two. I get this question a lot. That's why I'm just, yeah. and I, and I, and I'm not saying discriminate, but there's, this is a question that people ask, because if you're going to do young professionals or students, Girls or boys? People ask me that all the time. And honestly, it depends. I've had them both and there are pros and cons to both. Boys tend to be a little bit harder on the property, but are much less drama. Correct. And I've had girls that uh, have some of my roughest properties were single girls, but they were fresh out of mom and dad's house. They were 18 year olds and they just didn't know. They just didn't know how to live on their own very well. And so I got a lot of just silly service requests, a lot on the garbage disposal. I'd show up and there's eggshells down the sink and, and like asparagus. I'm like, come on, you can't put eggshells down a garbage disposal. And they just didn't know. Or like, Hey, the washing machine doesn't work. Well, cause you actually have to close the door all the way. Like there's just little things that like, you know, that they were just young. So I'm with you. I've had, uh, I've noticed that boys will kind of call, especially like, and I'm talking to students that I've dealt with, they'll kind of call each other out on cleanliness. So I, I found that my male students were a little cleaner than the females. But on the flip side, I've also had a great experience just this year with some older single females that had a little more life experience. And uh, so far, they've been as easygoing as, as it can go. So that's a hard one. But I will just make this add, if you do the single route, uh, the number of singles matters. Meaning if you say, Hey, I've got a, I've got a single family home. I'm going to rent it out for say $2,700, but I'm going to have, I have five bedrooms in the house. So I'm going to just, you know, no more than five singles in it, but they say, Oh, we've got a sixth. I would say you raise rent on everybody 
to at least 3000 or more because it's just that much more wear and tear. It's that much more parking issues. It's that much more everything on the house. So body count does matter. If I just had one person living in my house, I'd probably give them a little more of a discount because it's less wear and tear on the house versus six people in a house or five people. Keep in mind too, that as soon as you go over three, uh, three unrelated adults, you get into some ordinance issues. Now people do it all. I was going to say, depending on the city. So just check with your city, make sure you're good. And again, it always does the parking, parking, parking. You have six people in a house. You better have six parking solutions for six cars. Bingo. Okay. Next question. Let's do this. Uh, I'm just going to keep them coming at you, Jordan. So you get your property, uh, your first rental. Do you stick it in an LLC or do you keep it owned just in your personal name? So I put mine in an LLC. At what point? Um, I kind of cheated the process. So I actually had the LLC set up, but never deeded it over for like eight months. So you had it in your personal name for eight months, then mm-hmm. you deeded it over. Okay. Which is a lot of people do that, right? Because yeah. remember LLCs don't normally get mortgages. And so you have to close on the home in your personal name. And then it's just usually at some point in time later, you get it over your LLC. And for me, a lot of it was the logistics of moving it over into the LLC, which I realized very quickly, the title company can do a courtesy deed for you, deed it into the LLC and you have yeah, no problem. Recording fees like 45 bucks. That's I didn't it. even pay that. That's because you worked with some great people that took care of you. Exactly. But everybody listening, <laughs> we'll take care of you too. But know that it's usually 45 bucks. It's all um, about who you know. I know because it's the recording fee that the county has. Now, keep in mind on the L- LLC, we do have an episode that dives deep. Me and Johnny did a podcast that talks really specifically into S-Corps, LLCs, when to do it, why to do it, how to do it. Um, but the quick answer is it's fine to have a rental in your personal name. When you do your taxes, it's just a sole proprietorship. Totally fine to do. A lot of people do their first property just in their name. And usually it's around their second property that they'll do the LLC. However, the best, most safe from a legal and tax standpoint that we dive deep into on that episode is to get your LLC going sooner than later. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, and people ask what kind of corporation it is an LLC opposed to a C corp or an S corp. So just do your, your LLC, which is the default when you create a company, you always have to elect to go to the others. And if you own it and and you're, if it's just you, that's the owner of that property is a single member LLC is very simple and easy to set up. Yeah. Like less than a couple hundred bucks. You're good to go. Okay. So question number two, contracts, where did you get your first lease? How'd you do that? So I actually used apartments.com. It was cozy.com. And then they just sold to apartments.com. They will help you set up your lease agreement. They have clauses that all follow state routes and things like that. They've been read and proofed by attorneys. And then they actually have a payment portal that manages all your payments and management of the property. So it just simplifies the process. Hey, thousand foot level conversation. There is no one single contract for, for everything. And so when it comes to leases, you can literally have a lease on a napkin. You can have an oral lease with a handshake that can go to court and a judge will hear that even if it's not in writing. Obviously we never ever recommend doing that, get it in writing, but literally you can just Google a lease and create this. What's most important is that you have the clauses that are most important to you. Do you allow pets? Do you allow fish tanks? Do you allow water beds? These are big issues. Do you allow smoking on the property? If not outside, how many feet do they need to be away from the property? Those are things that you need to decide what fits for your contracts. Now, there's a balance. I've seen some contracts that are like 20 something pages long because it addresses every single little thing. You can literally get every legal thing under the sun and you'd have a book, but 
keep it simple is usually the, the better route. My recommendation too is just like Jordan said, apartments.com. We've had a lot of success here in Utah with rentler.com does the same thing. You can use that for your applications. They also, if you use their paid service, I don't know what it costs, but they have a paid service that'll also manage your leases and your merchant account to collect rent. But the other thing is, remember, Utah has a couple of big associations. They have the Builders Association, which we've talked about here. Obviously, they have the Realtor Association, which is super powerful and big in Utah. But a lot of people forget, we have a landlord association. It's called the Apartment Association of Utah. A lot of people don't know about this, but the Apartment Association is, uh, it's like a hundred and, oh, somebody fact check me, 150 bucks a year, somewhere around there. We get access to a portal and they just have all the documents under the sun, including a great lease. You can modify it, but it also has the late payment notice that's really fancy. They have the eviction process paperwork. They have a lot of stuff if you join that. So my first few years when I was self-managing, we didn't have Rentler or Apartments.com and all these things. I did join that apartment association. I even did the little golf tournament that they did because I thought it was cool. But it was uh, at the end of the day, I only really used them for their forms. It was good stuff. Yeah. Okay. You've got your account set up. So you have your LLC, you have your contract, it's time to set up your bank account. Do you need an accountant to do that? Set up a bank account? And to do the do the accounting for your, your rental property? So I have a bookkeeper that manages the books for my rental property. And then I just set up my bank accounts at a credit union. Yeah. Well, and this is a common question. First, know that once you have your LLC, you will have an EIN number. You take that into the bank. Five minutes later, you're walking out with a bank account. Now, in terms of accounting, if it's just one property, I don't, it's not that complicated. It's literally money comes in from the renters and then you set up your, your mortgage and any utilities that are still on the landlord to come out of the account. And that's it. Pretty simple books. When it gets a little more complicated, you may have an accountant when tax season comes. If you only have one, maybe two properties, you can still get away with TurboTax. However, I would recommend hire an accountant that's familiar, especially if you have the LLC to say, hey, I need my, my, my tax return done for my LLC as well as for my personal tax return. Well, and when you're an investor in real estate, there's more tax write-offs than just the income and the expenses of the rental property. You've Correct. got depreciation, things like that. So it does pay to go to an accountant. And the bookkeeper for me just keeps the books clean and simple. It's like 20 bucks a month. But your bookkeeper is not the accountant that prepares your tax no. return. So I have Two a bookkeeper people. and then I have a separate CPA right. that actually files my So taxes. newbie investors feel free to stay your own bookkeeper, but do hire a tax professional at the end of the year that can get your depreciation schedule and all that set up. And of course, reach out to us. We've got a great recommendation that does a lot of our people. So let's go back to that bank account. I just made the comment that you have the mortgage coming out of that bank account, but you also have utilities. What utilities do you put on your tenants versus what utilities do you keep on you, the landlord, and why? So mine is unique because I'm renting by the room. So I do an all-inclusive lease. So mm. I'm so you paying keep all, all the utilities, of the utilities in, in my name because it's being paid by three to five different tenants in the property. With a, mm-hmm. If I were to rent it to a single family, I would keep the HOA in my name, but I would let them take over the electricity, the gas, all those utilities. Okay, so let's recap that. So generally speaking, the recommendation is if you're in an HOA, you, the landlord, keeps the, the mortgage, obviously, the taxes, obviously, it's usually escrowed. But then on top of that, you keep the HOA in your name. Why? It's part of owning the property. It's the amenities in my mind. I could pass that off to the tenants, but it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it's usually the value proposition of the property are the amenities. So as a landlord, if you're going to charge your $2,700 a month, you've got to offer up you know, the HOA as part of the value 
And to me, it's more important to have solid tenants that are going to pay on time and that are going to be good long-term tenants than trying to nickel and dime them and make an extra 50 bucks. So the second utility that's the big maybe that I always want to point out is the city bill. The city bill is the trifecta, water, sewer, and garbage, and maybe recycling if your city does recycling. I generally, and I'm kind of 50-50, most of my properties, I keep that on me, the landlord, and only a few properties have I put that on the tenant. The reason I've kind of defaulted to keeping that in my name is keep in mind when it comes to sewer bills, if you don't pay your sewer bill, they can't just shut it off. So what happens is it accrues, and when it gets to a certain point to go to collections, they will send you the landlord to collection or even lean the house. They do not care about the tenant. So it's hard to collect. And I haven't dealt with that, but in theory, uh, I have found that sometimes it's easier to do that. Therefore, the only utilities in the tenant's names are the electricity, the gas, and the internet. The other trick with the uh, utilities, most utility companies will allow you to set up what they call a landlord policy. Correct. So I have that set up with all of my properties. So it gets transferred into the tenant's name. But if the tenant were to stop paying or do things like that, the liability stays on the tenant, but it doesn't get shut off. It just transfers into mine. Correct. And that's good for in-between tenants because sometimes you might have a vacancy between tenants of only like a week or just a matter of a few days. You do not want to have the utilities shut off and then you got to turn them back on with the new tenant. So that's a great opportunity for it just to default over to the landlord to bridge between tenants. And then it just goes right back on. So again, Jordan's right. I have that on mine. It's a landlord policy with Dominion Energy, which is our gas company in Utah and Rocky Mountain Power, which is most power. But again, city bills are, every city is different. You go to Lehigh, that Lehigh City does all the utilities. Provo, same way. Spanish Fork, same way. But Vineyard or Linden or American Fork, no, it's Rocky Mountain Power. It's some of these others. So kind of a game we play. All right. Only a couple more questions. What are the expectations and what have you found, Jordan, when you are a property manager? How often are you dealing with maintenance requests or just issues in general? That's an interesting one. So both the properties that I own as investment properties, I purchased brand new. So they're both at this point still less than two years old. So maintenance really hasn't been much of an issue. Have you dealt with with single students? Have you dealt with drama? You made that comment earlier, less drama. What does that drama, What what's the form of drama that you're referencing? So the drama with tenants has been all of tenant disputes with each other. I don't like that so-and-so did this or so-and-so is not keeping the apartment clean or it's things like that that are really interpersonal issues and less about the property itself. Interesting. Well, and I will add, uh, I had uh, one, again, I've got quite a few properties with singles in it. Usually it's tattletelling, which is which is annoying in some things, but it's really good on others. One that, that my wife and I dealt with on her rental property that she got before we were married that we still have, she had a phone call that came in and it was one of the single gals that said, hey, we've got a roommate that's got a dog in a room. And we thought it was just like, she was just watching it for a day. It's been here for three weeks. You know, and so it was it was a good tattletale because then we had the confrontation of, hey, no pets, you know, and especially like when you have a roommates, like a dog is kind of a big deal when you've got four other roommates in the house and, and we had to address it. But that is an interesting question uh, of how often you deal with it. I usually tie that with the age of the property. And you've heard me make comments that when I first got into real estate investing, I was all about the Burr method, the BRRR, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat, if you want to add the last R on there. And I did tons of old houses. Well, guess what? The older the home, the more Home Depot runs you'll have. And so there's some properties where I was doing a Home Depot run or, or coordinating with a handyman about monthly 
on some of these things. In fact, those are the properties I've since sold because I've realized that, hey, even though they are great performance properties, they're just a little too much work. And it's not a ton of work, but it's still once a month. But just like you said, my newer stuff, I own a couple of condos right now that are newer. I have not stepped foot in since I did the final walkthrough. Because yep. there's no problems. Now, granted, even with those, we've had uh, we've had somewhere uh, uh, some furnace issues, some water heater issues. Um, and what I would recommend, though, is don't be that absentee unless you have a property manager. If you're managing it yourself, I recommend that you are visiting your property quarterly, but at a minimum twice a year. And you're going to do a couple of things. You're going to you're, you're going to use the excuse of I'm just swapping out furnace filters or bringing in extras, but you're really doing an inspection. You can make it a formal inspection. Property managers certainly do. But even just to run through and just check on your property, make sure you don't find a dog in the back bedroom or make sure you don't find three people piled up in a bedroom somewhere and that they're, you know, breaking lease. So check on it. And again, the furnace filters must, tenants never change the furnace filters. So if you're not doing it, you better have somebody that's doing it because you cannot rely on tenants to ever, ever, ever change your furnace filter. Agreed. And the other thing I say is like when I go check on my property quarterly or twice a year and I'm changing the furnace filters, I'm looking for all the things that may be going wrong in the property or the tenants breaking lease, but I'm also looking for opportunities to compliment them and thank them. You get really good tenants, they'll stay for a long time. So yeah, I've dropped crumble cookies off to my tenants before to just say, Hey, like, thanks for being great tenants. Yeah, totally true. Johnny and I started doing a, well, I don't think we've done it last couple of years, but we had a couple of years in a row where we would send Home Depot gift cards for Christmas. Why would we do Home Depot gift cards? <laughs> exactly. We got kind of a double whammy. They were like, oh, you're the coolest landlords ever. Gave us a gift card. But it was Home Depot. But it also gave me this use of like, look, like if you need to swap out light bulbs and stuff that landlords don't have responsibility over. Now it's like, well, I got this 50 bucks from my landlord. I'm going to go buy the light bulbs. I'm going to go buy little, you know, things to maintain the property and make it a little bit better. So, um, all right. Last tough question. Have you ever had to evict somebody? I have not. Okay. So you're lucky. So let's talk about that though. Cause that's a common question of, Hey, I got this tenant. I thought they were great. They've been in here for six months, but they've broken lease in some fashion, whether they've got that dog in the bedroom, whether they just haven't paid, whatever it might be. How do you go through the eviction process? So just a couple of things. First know that there is a, there is some, some laws that dictate how we go through this because there have been plenty of landlord abuses, you know, in, in history. And we all, we, you know, we're all aware of those. Generally speaking, though, the eviction process is, is fairly simple, and that is you need to provide written notice on how the lease was, was broken, and generally it's a 30-day notice that they have. Now, most people can go through that process. You get good communication. It might be very uncomfortable communication, but they'll be out within 30 days. But what if they're not? What if they say, Jordan, screw you. I'm staying here. You got to kick me out. Do you show up with you and your thugs and just pick up their stuff and throw it out on the curb? It's my understanding you have to go through an eviction attorney, right? So there's two ways. So you can hire an attorney and there are great attorneys that this is like their specialty. Um, but know that it's the sheriff department for counties, not cities uh, that, that do this. Um, they don't like doing it. But if you look on their website, they do have a process, but they require all the legal paperwork to be really ironclad before they will actually show up and escort somebody off the property. That's usually why you do hire an eviction attorney to go through this process. Now, I have gotten lucky. I've always been able to negotiate. I have done evictions. I've done a couple of them. and I've had a property manager involved on some, and we've always just simply worked it out. It's been a little ugly. We have had to threaten that we would go through the attorney process, but at the end, we just worked it out. 
And it's always nice to do that because I don't want somebody to kick, you know, kick and scream on their way out and do a bunch of damage to the property. And so, you know, it's, it is good to, to have a little diplomacy through the process, but again, give notice, talk it through, strive for a payment plan. But if it's a hard, you got to be out, then you give them that 30 days, you agree on a date, you get it written, you, you take a picture of you taping it on the door. If you can't stick it in their hand, you do everything you can to cover your butt and make sure that you've documented the process. That way, if you do have to hire that attorney who then in turn gets the sheriff to escort them off the property, you've got your ducks in a row. Bingo. I hope none of you guys listening to this podcast have to go through that process. And again, the two that I did, I worked it out. I had to personally talk to them and just, and I used some language of simply, hey, clearly it's not working out. One of them was because he was smoking a ton of pot in my house and, and he had roommates and the roommates complained about it because he was smoking right in the house. And I gave him a warning and then it, it just didn't change. So I finally just said, hey, it's not working out. Let's find you a better place. And I gave him only a week, um, but he did it. We worked out. My last one was simply he didn't pay. And it was sad. I tried to work out a payment plan, tried to see my tenant for a real long time. But at the end of the day, he just financial troubles hit. And I said, hey, this just isn't working out. Your financial troubles aren't, aren't, you know, are now becoming my financial troubles because I've got a mortgage. I've got things and it just didn't work out. I was kind about it, but I was firm. And I gave him a date. I said, hey, this is the date. If you hit this date, we'll end with a high five or at least, a, you know, at least with mutual respect. If you miss that date, your next conversation will be with an eviction attorney. It was that simple. Well, I don't want to end on that note. I want to end on at least the inspirational note of uh, hopefully this was useful. Look at Jordan Go on property number three. It's exciting. Uh, you're building the empire. We'll got to figure out what your next goal, what your next property is going to be. I know that's what I'm trying to figure it out. I'm playing with the idea of potentially an Airbnb in St. George. Ooh, so, it's hot stuff right now. It's very, it's a hot topic because St. George is in the middle of trying to figure out what they're doing with Airbnbs. So that's where it's up in air for me. Yeah. Well, we just talked about on the last episode too, Utah state really came down hard on, on a blanket. All cities must allow uh, accessory dwelling units, ADUs, accessory apartments. The real question is what are they going to do about nightlies? Cause HOAs, cities, a lot of people are kicking and screaming saying not in my backyard, but the rest of the world saying, boy, these are sure convenient Yep. for the landlord and the user. We all know that there's a there's a great market for these it's nightlies. A, it's a huge win win platform. So it really is. Well, we might have to do an episode where we interview some folks that have got them and are having good success with them. And then maybe that'll inspire you to buy your next one. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Hit us up with other questions and we'll catch you on another episode. You've been listening to the Red Sign Podcast a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. See you next time.